0: Can you dig it? With a Bobcat compact excavator, you can. Up to $6,000 in rebates on select models and 0% financing for 36 months. Check us out at Bobcat of Charleston in North Charleston.
1: Hello, folks, and welcome to episode sixty-two of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We are recording on Sunday, November twentieth, and we had a big week of basketball. Three games to recap. We will also recap a little bit, touch a little bit on recruiting, and also recap uh, a little bit about that football game that happened on Saturday. But first, Ugh. let me bring in my let me bring in my partner. Todd. You already heard him, Jason Evans in Atlanta. What's up, man?
2: Do we really have to talk about that football game?
1: <laughs> We're, <laughs> we're we're gonna we're gonna get into it. We, we're gonna have the good to, or the uh, bad. We, we
2: are with you. We, the good or the bad football team. Exactly.
1: Uh, and over in Denver, or, or are you in Denver, uh, Sam Klein?
0: I'm actually uh, up in the high country in Breckenridge, Colorado, this week. Um, and I I would like to admit up front that I didn't get to see the football game. I was at a uh, live recording of a Prairie Home Companion on Saturday afternoon, and I have no regrets.
1: You're lucky. Yeah. Well, that You probably did a lot better than, than we did, but uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. First off, uh, like I said, it was a big week for Duke basketball. We had three games. We're going to unpack the first one first, and then we'll get into the Basketball Hall of Fame tip-off uh, after that. First off, on Tuesday, uh, Duke basketball went up to Madison Square Garden uh, for the Champions Classic, and in a heartbreaker with about, I guess, three seconds left, uh, lost to Kansas 77-75 on a Frank Mason III jumper. Uh, I'll start with you, Jason. Give me your thoughts on that game uh, and what you saw and, and what happened.
2: Well, I thought it was a, a frustrating game early on because – and tell me if you guys disagree. I, I had this sense in the first seven to ten minutes that Duke really had a chance to run away and hide a little bit, <laughs> and, and we didn't. Um, uh, you know, Kansas got into foul trouble very quickly, very early on. Kansas seemed to be struggling to figure out what the heck they were doing early on in the game. Um and and I really thought, oh yeah, hey, you know, this is our chance. If we can come out and get hot, if we can, you know, hit hit some shots and the such, and and uh, you know, stretch things out, Kansas may start to panic a little bit, and and maybe they'll they'll bring some of the guys in foul trouble back a little bit early because they are cause so desperate, and and those guys will get in even more foul trouble. And I had these visions of grandeur in my head, and it did. Um, we went into halftime with a thirty-four to twenty-nine lead. Um, boy, it, it didn't feel to me like we had a safe. Five points isn't safe, but um, I was sure Kansas was going to come out um, and uh, and play much better in the second half. They absolutely did. The difference in the game to me was that there was about a three-minute stretch, sort of, you know, not midway through, almost midway through that second half, when Josh Jackson, who everyone says has a real chance to be the number one pick in the NBA draft, showed why he has a chance to be the number one pick in the NBA draft. He scored like seven or nine points all by himself. And they were the kind of points where you just went, yeah, that's an NBA move. That's, you know, he's he's more athletic. He's better than anyone else on the floor at this moment. And uh, we were struggling to score at, the, at that moment. And he took it from what had been a back-and-forth game or a really tight game to one where they had an extended lead. Um, and once that happened... Uh, you know, it was just tough for Duke to come back. We 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 shot okay in this game, but it never felt like we were getting easy shots. Uh, I felt like we had uh, way too many turnovers. Um, we did have a great comeback late in the game, um, and uh, you know, I, I I love the the guts that it took um, for Frank Jackson to to rise up and take that three-pointer that tied the game, uh, and it was incredibly exciting. But uh, Frank Mason III, there's a reason he's in the running for Player of the Year. In fact. As of that game, Frank Mason III may be the front-runner for Player of the Year right now nationally. Um, He is a great, great, great guard. Uh, By the way, did you guys hear what Bill Self, Bill Self, when he called that last play, Frank Mason, of course, hit the game-winning shot. Bill Self called that last play. He said, what he said to the guys in the huddle was, he said, hey, guys, get the ball to Frank and get out of his way. Good play. It worked. (laughs) Um, He he, he, he had the uh,
0: the, the Michael Jordan ability, right? It's like... He's just going to take the last shot and and you guys all need to recognize that so don't bother him.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um uh when we were previewing this game I talked about rebounding and I talked about the boards being really important for us because Kansas lost to Indiana and got killed on the uh, on 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 rebounding. Um and I thought that was a place where we could uh, maybe exploit them a little bit cuz I didn't think we we would be able to beat them in the backcourt because Mason and Devonte Graham and and uh uh and and uh Josh um I'm blanking on his name out the dude I was just talking about a second Jackson. ago Josh Jackson Josh God, Jackson. I, I yeah I, the, <laughs> I knew we were not going to be better than the three of them Can I speak I don't even know what I'm yet. saying anymore uh, So I thought rebounding would, was going to be a place that would work for us and and it didn't and uh, that may have been the story of the game We were out rebounded by nine They had fourteen offensive rebounds which is a lot Um and and they needed it because they were terrible from fr- three and they were terrible at the free throw line. Um, they were great from two. Um, you know everything they shot inside the arc they made. But um, I, you know that was the difference in the game. And uh, it was it, you know it was frustrating. It really felt like a game that if Duke had played just a little bit better, we could have won. Um, uh, Grayson Allen, uh, you know, got hurt and clearly, clearly was not himself and wasn't himself all week long. But I, okay, I've talked enough about this one. Uh, Sam, what you got? So, well. On the, on the rebounding margin, um, one of the – and you, you talked about
0: the rebounding margin, you talked about Josh Jackson, and one of the interesting things here is that Josh Jackson only played 18 minutes of this game. He got in foul trouble, I think it was in the first half, right? Uh, and then he yeah. eventually fouled out. So if you had told me, hey, Josh Jackson's only going to play 18 minutes, um, that probably makes it sound like Duke's going to win the game because Josh Jackson, he's not their best player. I think, I think Frank Mason's their best player. Um, but Josh Jackson is going to be key for Kansas this year. That being said, in the 18 minutes that he played, he took nine shots and scored 15 points. So he was highly efficient. And for a lot of the time that he missed, um, we got to see their, um, their freshman center from Nigeria, Azebuke, I think is how you say his name. Um, yeah. And he yeah. pulled down mm-hmm. 12 boards against us after only pulling down um, two rebounds against Indiana. Um, so that was, that was kind of out of nowhere against and us. He and he had-
2: and yeah, twelve rebounds in them, fifteen minutes. Twelve rebounds yeah, 12, in fifteen minutes.
0: fifteen minutes, and that and that provided. I think it's more than the entire rebounding margin was was their Freshman center, who I don't think you know, we we game plan for at all. Um, he just came in and cleaned up the boards. I will say that um, that uh, I was impressed in that. Uh, it, 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 I think that you mentioned Frank Jackson and, and him making the uh, the shot towards the end. It could have been you know in, in the highlight reel for this year, if not. If not for uh, Frank Mason coming back and winning the game for them at the end, um, I was really—I've been really impressed so far with Frank Jackson's poise and the way that he's been able to play with this team. You know, we—I think sometimes we take for granted that these star freshmen are just going to come in and play well immediately, but it doesn't always happen. And I think that that Jackson really seems like he's—he's he's part of that rotation, and there's no—you know—there's not much lost when he comes into the game. So that's been—that's been really good. I would say that elsewhere in this game. Um, I thought that the – Jason, you mentioned that the game was kind of weird. I thought the flow in this game was all wrong, um, even though it ended up being a perfectly normal scoring game um, and, and Duke's substitution patterns were, were pretty standard, like late season Duke against quality opponent. You know, we only really played six guys um, and, uh, and they were sort of subbing out normally. But there was just something, something strange about this game that, that never felt right even when Duke was winning. Um, the comeback towards the end felt – it felt good, and it was good to see that the team do that, especially in light of the fact that they didn't have depth available. Um, and I, I'm starting to get uh, really upset every time they flash the camera, the guys in suits or in warm-ups on the bench who, who are all, you know, McDonald's All-Americans who can't play. But um, I, th- I think ultimately if, if, this is, if this is the result, if, if Duke is going to be losing on a basically a buzzer beater um, to – one of the other very best teams in the country, but Duke doesn't have three of their best players. And, and the one key advantage that we would have over Kansas, the, the rebounding, is basically not available if, if you take all those guys out. Um, I think that makes us feel good about going forward, hopefully, once all those guys are, are back in the fold for this team. Um, so it, it, it hurts to lose, um, but I think you see that the, that the team has the, the talent to overcome probably any opponent. Um, and, and hopefully that, that shows up when everyone's healthy.
2: And, and not just that we were missing our three best players. Uh, sorry, not, not just that we were missing those three players, but our best player, Grayson Allen, was clearly hobbled. Grayson was right. not mm-hmm. himself in this game. Right. All week. Um, yeah, it, I, I agree
1: think, with everything he, you guys. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to
0: say, I, um, I, maybe we want a tangent to Grayson Allen here if we want to do it later. Um, but it, it seems like, it, I said that, I think that Frank Jackson has felt like Sort of, you know, he's he's integrated, and it seems like he he kind of gets his role on this team. Do you feel like so far in this season that Grayson Allen's kind of been forcing the issue on a on a shooting and um, just the way that he plays offense? It, it feels, maybe you guys disagree with me, but it feels like he might be he might be pressing, he might be trying too hard to live up to being, you know, an All American preseason Player of the Year, all that kind of stuff.
1: I don't get that uh I don't get that vibe yet. What I do get as. as you know, we've been talking, touching on a little bit when he did get hurt. I feel like he may have come back a little too soon. Like, I feel like he, he's pressing through whatever injury this is. And, and just like, just that, you know, even this weekend, you know, it was kind of that he was struggling for his game, but he was pushing because it, I guess in his mind, like if he's down, then we're down four players and he doesn't want to put that burden on his team. It's like, he wants to put all the burden on himself. Um, so I think that is kind of what I'm seeing, but it's not, I don't get the sense of the pressure of uh, the preseason play of the year accolades uh, getting and to him. I think it's more, maybe the, it's not a part. Yeah. And, and,
0: and I, I should have said, I don't really think it's that it, it's the pressure. I think that that might be contributing to it, um, but just the, and, and it, it may also just be that he knows that, you know, more of the scoring is on his back when, when those, when those freshmen are out. Um, that he feels like he's he's got a lot he's got to do a lot even though you know Luke Kennard has seemed has seemed to be a really great scorer so far this year.
2: You know, um, Coach K said in the post game con- news conference today, and I know we haven't gotten to the Penn State and the Rhode Island games yet, but um, uh, we're jumping all over the place. What the hell? Uh, uh, he said that Grayson Allen was only fifty percent of what he could be, fifty percent of his normal self. Um, after he got hurt against Kansas. Uh, my bet would be that he was like 30% of his normal self for the rest of that Kansas game, and he's slowly getting back up to being 50% of his yeah. normal self. But by the way, um, and, and we're not previewing games yet, but just put this bug in your ear, just think about this. I, I won't be even remotely surprised if Grayson Allen sits or plays very, very, very limited minutes against William & Mary and Appalachian State, our next two opponents, to give himself a chance to really heal And get better, uh, and get these nagging injuries, these nagging early season injuries, um, past himself. Both, uh, you know, hurting his uh, his leg against Kansas, and then um, he like got like a turf toe kind of thing. He sort of stubbed his toe against Penn State. Um, uh, You know, so uh, I I think we may not see much of Grayson Allen for the next week, and I'm fine with that. Uh, Yeah, we will be short staffed, but um, I'm fine with that. These guys need to get better. These guys need to get better because this Duke team can be freaking scary good.
0: I mean, they hung... As, as we said, they played six guys against Kansas and, and three of the guys that should have been playing in this game are all the McDonald's All-Americans and, and it was pretty much a back-and-forth game. I mean, Duke went up early and then Kansas went up late, but, you know, it was basically toe-for-toe for, toe for 40 minutes.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, to, and I guess to wrap up the Kansas portion of it, I, I agree with you guys when you say that the... Uh, the flow of the game didn't really feel right like there's a lot of fouls being called on on both sides like just a lot of fouls a lot of people in foul trouble and I don't think that the uh, uh, the flow of the game was ever fluid enough because you know a lot of these players were playing uh, with that foul trouble in mind so uh, I I think that is uh, that was an issue but also uh, I think that um, the pressure's off you know there's there's part of there's part of it in the sense of we lost to a really great team in in Kansas. We didn't have all our players. Um, I think that game was was ours if we if we're at full strength. Um, but the fact that we uh, ended up just two points short on a buzzer beater, if that's what's going to take to beat us, then you know I think the future uh, you know this team is is still really really great. Um, I think we have a chance to be an exceptional team, and uh, I don't think now we have to play with the pressure that. Uh, Kentucky fans were trying to put on their team a couple years ago uh, that ended short and we ended up winning it all. Uh, so I, I, I think, you know, we can focus on, you know, getting everybody back healthy, getting Grayson healthy, uh, and this next week hopefully just working out the kinks. Uh, you know, I think the chemistry is there. I think all the tools are there. Um, and there's really not much to work on other than a few nitpicky things. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm cool with where we're at right now, uh, especially with that being an early loss against a good team. I'm okay with that.
2: Hey, let's get to the, the weekend. The weekend was a lot more fun than earlier in the week.
1: Yeah, I agree. So let's uh, move forward. Uh, we had the Basketball Hall of Fame tip-off uh, at Mohegan Sun Arena uh, in Connecticut. Uh, we had two games on Saturday and, t- and today. Uh, yesterday we beat Penn State 78-68, and today, earlier today, we beat Rhode Island 75-65 uh, to win the whole thing. Um, if you recall, the games we had the first couple games of the year against Marist and Grand Canyon technically are part of this tournament um, that we had in, in uh, Connecticut. Uh, I'll start with you, Sam. Give me your thoughts on the, on the two games.
0: Uh, first of all, really impressed with Emil Jefferson this weekend. seemed like he uh, was in control for, for both games. Um, and and Penn State's not a great opponent. Rhode Island is a is a very talented team. They they've got they've got a a lot of leadership, um, like older guys who who produce for them and and play most of the game. Um, Terrell, the their point guard, and then um, and then uh, who's a the big guy who made all the block shots? Hassan Martin. Um, those guys. Yeah. uh Those the, those guys are really
2: good for Rhode Island. Go ahead. Actually, Sorry, Garrett. Garrett is the point guard. Uh, Terrell. I- and E.C. Matthews are their two wings. And those guys, right. Terrell and Matthews, are really, really good. And Martin had a great – Martin had seven blocks. He had a great game against us. Uh, that yeah. Terrell guy, just really quick, I thought that Terrell guy was, um, was fabulous. He, he looks like a future pro. He's really athletic. Jared I, I, Terrell. I, I, should, I, I should apologize. I
0: should apologize for labeling him the point guard. I'm, I'm used to watching this Duke team that doesn't really have a point guard. So I just assume that if you're the best guard on the team, you're the point guard. <laughs> so um, but but yeah, Martin I think I think was the was the real standout with all the blocks. Um I think they said that he's that he's likely gonna end up um as the as the school's all time block leader and you can you can see why. I mean he gets he gets on top of dudes um anytime they're near the paint and I think he I think he blocked seven of our shots. But um but Duke kept
2: wrote up. By the way you know, really quick you know what's ahead. unreal about him? Sorry I'm jumping in so much. Just you yeah. say something and it makes you think He's only six seven. Hassan Martin is only six seven. He has incredible is, I mean, timing. His timing is it, so fabulous.
0: Shot blocking is a is a skill as much as you know. It relies on the on the physical. You know, like you, you have to be. You usually have to be pretty big to do it. Um, but some guys just get right, as you say, they get the timing. They and they're able to control themselves so that they can they can put the arm out and they can body body the shooter up without fouling him. Um, and that was one of the things I found was really impressive about Martin is that he had a couple blocks where he, um, it felt like he was on top of the Duke shooter and he wasn't fouling him. Um, but he, but he was able to, to crowd the space and, and what could appear to be an open look from, you know, 10, 12 feet. All of a sudden it's not an open look because, because Martin is just engulfing all of the space available to shoot. Um, so that was really impressive to me. I, I but on the, on the Duke side, um, like I said, Jefferson was really great. Um, Luke Kennard had an, had an awesome weekend, um, shot the ball pretty well. Uh, Duke kind of struggled against against Rhode Island early to score and and managed to, to pull away and sort of sort of keep them at arm's length later in the game. Um, but that's that URI team. You know that's, that's the kind of team that you can see in like the second or third round of the tournament. And um, you know they've got, as I said, they're it's a they're, they're an A or not A son. They're an A ten team that has some experienced players that have, that have been there before. Um, and and Duke managed again to, to sort of sort of hold them back. Um, so I, I was really impressed by that. The, the Penn State game, um, I think I just I have less to say. I, I, uh, one of the annoyances of, of my experience of uh, consuming the Penn State game is that I watched part of it and then I listened to part of it uh, on the radio, but the only radio feed I could access through the Internet was the, uh, was the Penn State feed. So I got <laughs> the Penn State basketball guys who I think, based on their accents, are, are Pittsburgh gentlemen. And they might as well have been two guys at a bar, like in a Saturday Night Live sketch, um, being basketball (laughs) announcers. It was like, like, oh
1: yeah, look at, like, look at Grayson Allen, like running down the lane. He's looking like he's probably
0: going to trip somebody. Ho ho ho! Um, So (laughs) I. uh, (laughs) There was only. I'm sorry, I missed that. I I wish I'd listened to that. That sounds awesome. (laughs) No, it was it was awful. It, It was it was funny. It was funny to me, like briefly, and after a while, I was like. Oh no! This is their entire shtick. Like this is this is nothing like listening to Bob Harris. Um, I it, almost uh, want
1: to me... ask you to. I almost want to ask you to speak in that accent for the rest of this podcast. <laughs> no, I can't. I,
0: <laughs> I, I, I can't do the. I can't do the Yender accent that well. Um, if I if I could, I'd be I'd be happy to. Um, but yeah, they, they, it, was, oh, it was like I said briefly. It was fine, but for I think I heard like probably like real time, probably 20 or 25 minutes of the game um, in, in their voices. And uh, I texted one of my buddies who, who went to Penn State, and I was like, I-, I don't know if you pay attention to your basketball program or have ever heard these guys, but they are horrible. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a novelty act. It's not a, uh, it, it, it doesn't, I mean, maybe it's just because just I'm not used to hearing that accent very often, but it doesn't sound professional at all to me. Like in my mind, you know, if I'm going to hear basketball on the radio, it has to be sort of that drippy Southern accent because um, that's, that's, that's what Bob Harris has, and that's what I imagine to be the voice of basketball on the radio. So um, I think, I think I've, I've gone on long enough. Jason, what did you think about Penn State and Rhode Island? Well, uh,
2: let me start with Penn State. Can, <laughs> Donald, can I ask how horrifying, I'll ask both of you guys, how horrifying was it so the whole pregame is like, hey, look at these three guys sitting on the bench who are going to be off. Look at these three future lottery picks who are all sitting on the bench, but hey, it's okay, Duke's got Duke so deep, they got so many other guys. And then like 5 minutes into the game, um uh Grayson Allen gets hurt and goes to the locker room and and, Chase and like gets hurt. I'm sorry. Right? Yeah, and then a, a minute later Chase Jeter gets hurt and is being literally carried to the locker room. I was like, "Oh my god, are, do, you know, are, is Brennan Bresser gonna be like on the floor by the end of this game. This
1: is crazy.
2: Yeah. That yeah, was, that was, I was mean, awful. Jeter went down, he only ended up playing six
0: minutes in the game. Um and, yeah. and it, you know, and, and he and he started for some reason. Um uh and he and I guess he started again against uh
2: No, he against, didn't he didn't uh, start no, He came out with a bench down um, so. yeah. But uh But, but I thought but I, like, it was realistic no, that we were not gonna have Jeter or Allen. It was gonna be Jefferson, Kennard, Jones Delaurier and Jackson. I mean, like <laughs> it was like, oh my god! I mean, it I basically, was in, I was in,
0: it's basically last year's team, right? I mean, you, you take Ingram out and you replace him with Frank Jackson, and it's basically all the same dudes. So, um, well, and, and, like, no, you know, and, and and no Plumley in the middle, right? And without Plumley, uh, yeah. I mean, maybe maybe Jeter's able to. to like Jeter was basically a non-factor last year, right? Um, maybe he on his very best day he could have an average marshall Plumley day from, from last year. But he hasn't, he hasn't come close to that yet this year. So, um, yeah. so far, Duke is, Duke is less deep than they were. And, and, and you know, as we've said, Deloria is going to end up being a, 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 a fine player for Duke at some point, but he's not yet this year. So pretty much this year we're running out the same team, um, you know, minus a little bit. <laughs> and, uh, and that's kind of scary.
2: Yeah, uh, so uh, I mean, the Penn State game uh, to me was a story of Emil Jefferson. Um, uh, he was he was as close to dominant as you'll ever see him be. I thought, um, really, uh, you know, obviously the stats: sixteen points, fifteen, fifteen rebounds. Like, that's great. That's a that's a big number. Uh, he had almost half of Duke. Duke had thirty-eight rebounds. He had fifteen of them. That's a huge number, and he had four block shots. and And I just think. Uh, he captains our defense. You know, we talked about this last year on the podcast when he went down and we were missing him, um, you know, throughout the rest of that season. That, that he's the guy in the back of the defense communicating and telling everyone else what to do. And, uh, and God, he is so, so good at that. Um, and and Duke, Duke is just, it's easy to, to pay attention to offensive stats and the offensive end of the floor but but shockingly uh, you know I'm going to throw out a statistic that will really surprise you 50% of the game is played at the other end of the floor 50% of the game is defense so uh, do you, have, do you do you have a reference for that for that stat? I do I do uh yeah uh, it, it's called the rules of basketball um,
1: oh,
2: weird. okay <laughs> that's, that's um, a good reference yeah but uh I, I mean defense is really really important and uh, emil jefferson makes our defense go and i thought he was great against Penn State. He was really great against Rhode Island again. Um, he had he had an incredible weekend. Uh, you know, as as good a, a pair of back to back games as as you'll ever see from him. Um, I, it was it was really clear uh, in both games that Grayson Allen wasn't himself, um, and and that's fine. Uh, you know, Grayson, like we said, is is fighting to to do the best he can um you know against Penn State for him to get 8 rebounds for him to lead the team with four assists uh when when you know when he couldn't do other stuff um uh, you know huge huge props to him you know on the weekend Grayson was 1 for 11 from 3 i mean he's a way better shooter than that he's a way better shooter than that um against Rhode Island Sam, I like that you described them as the kind of team that you would face in the second, third round of the NCAA. They are, they are a Sweet 16 kind of opponent. Um, everyone in a Blue Devil uniform not named Luke Kennard was two of 16 from three. Uh, we we did not shoot well. Um, but uh, uh, it, somehow, against a team that's a Sweet 16 kind of team, and I think the somehow is because we played really good defense, um, uh We had a double-digit lead for basically that entire game. We weren't we weren't threatened at all in that game, uh, which is just really shocking. And here are words that you'll never hear me say. Dick Vitale said something really interesting. I can't believe I just said that. Yes, (laughs) not really interesting. He he said something moderately moderately a little tiny bit intelligent. He said the notion the idea that you are going to add three future lottery picks to this current Duke team is terrifying for the rest of college basketball um and and he's he's right it is you know you don't want to sit here and talk about the guys who didn't play too much because we're rolling out there with guys who are playing and they're playing great for us but oh my god the the notion that you're gonna add guys as good as Bolden and Tatum and Giles to this team there's a reason that Everyone says this team's going to win the national
0: title. I mean, um, imagine, imagine uh, uh, as productive, well, I was gonna say, as, productive as, as, like, Kennard and Allen have been. Imagine if they don't have to worry about getting inside to get rebounds anymore, and they can, they can really, especially on offense, that they can really move around on the perimeter um, and create for themselves without having to, having to think about those extra steps, you know, because once, um, once, like, Giles and, and, uh, and Bolden are back in there, they don't have to, they don't have to worry about rebounding anymore.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh so uh, a couple of quick things and then Donald I'll get it over to you and and uh uh but um uh, did you guys join me? I loved how confused Rhode Island was when we went zone. Um I'm not I, I don't know how often we're going to go zone. Um but uh we went zone and Rhode Island was like I don't know what to do with the ball and I think they just promptly threw it out of bounds or something like that. <laughs> um uh I, you know, Coach K has used this before and I think we'll see him use it um some more in the future. Uh, as a way, you know, changing up the defense on teams, and they just don't know what the hell to do. Um, And then the last thing is I want to do a quick shout-out to Flying Dutch Devil on the boards, um, who had a great comment that I want to quote um, in the Rhode Island postgame thread. He said, and I quote, if you were to tell me that Duke won two games this weekend against very solid competition, and Grayson Allen was the fifth leading scorer in each game, I would have laughed in your face. He's right. Uh the notion that we did what we did this weekend with Grayson clearly hurt and not able to score the way he usually scores, um, is is a real testament to the rest of the guys in this team. We're playing like seniors. We're playing like experienced players, which is what we're putting out there on the floor. Um and, and I love it. Uh and they're really playing great ball. Donald.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with everything you guys said. Um the first thing I want to comment on, I, I thought Emil Jefferson had a tremendous weekend. Like Sam said, he kind of was out there playing with the mentality of this is going to be my weekend and everybody get out of my way and he, he you know had 15 boards in both games and you know 17 and 16 points uh in the respective games and he overshadowed what I thought was an incredible weekend by Luke Kennard uh an incredible week by Luke Kennard um you know if you look at the three games he played very very well and he got his shots off he had open looks he was able to create a couple of looks uh, that that or uh, salvage uh, a couple of layups and points out of some tricky situations, uh, and I thought he played really well. So I wanted to give him a shout out, um, especially because I thought uh, his scoring in the absence of Grayson Allen um, is really what helped this team be calm. In um, in you know that with Emil Jefferson, Matt Jones, I thought played very well in the second half against Rhode Island. Uh, just just as poised, like I, he didn't have to you know, light up the stat sheet. He had 13 points. He hit a couple of threes. Uh, He hit a couple of free throws when we needed it. He got a couple of rebounds, but he didn't do anything flashy. He was just himself. Um, He played within himself. And I think that is what this team needs going forward. I think these guys uh, now need to just go ahead and and say, this is my game. This is how we're going to do it. So when these three guys, uh, the three freshmen do make their debut, everyone knows what their role is going to be. And I think that's starting to show a little bit earlier um, than we had last year when we were kind of figuring out the roles on this team, especially with it being down to like six, seven players at times. Um, Everybody here knows their role, and I think they're doing it well. It's just that we need to get healthy. Um, Grayson, uh, I thought he played the entire weekend, um, you know, basically banged up. And and we need to get him back healthy. Chase Jeter the same way. Um, I'm glad they stuck it out. I think they did well in playing. I mean, Grayson Allen played 39 minutes today. Um, after getting hurt the day before. So I uh, hurt again the day before. So uh, that's I think that shows how tough, how tough this kid is. Like God. everyone talked about last year about how he was a prima donna and like how he was, he was the bad boy of college basketball. But this man takes all the shots from people and he got back up after being injured the day before on less than 24 hours rest, came back and played 39 minutes. Name a, name a guy in college basketball is going to do that. Like, that's incredible. I, I, You've got to give him props for that. Even if it's, and, the stat sheet doesn't show that he had a good game, I think he had a tremendous game just by being on the court. Well, and
0: through those first five games, um, he's not quite the leading scorer on the team yet, but he's right there with Kennard and Jackson. Um, and, and that's you know playing through, as you point out, playing through a, a couple of injuries and, um, and, and not, not looking like his best. Um, so we haven't seen... Yet this year, uh, the the Grayson Allen that we know is is hiding just underneath of of whatever those injuries are.
2: Yeah, Allen's only hitting twenty six percent of his three pointers, um, and and you're correct to point out, Sam, that he's not quite the leading scorer. But if he hit one more one one three pointer, one more three pointer, rather than twenty hitting twenty six percent, he was hitting like twenty eight percent of his three pointers. Um, he would be the leading scorer on the team, and and right. we know he's going to um, you know, he's going to have games where he just takes over offensively uh, once he gets 100% there. Hey, I want to talk about Luke Kennard for a moment because Jeff Goodman at ESPN, Jeff Goodman wrote Please an do. article, um, uh, that and, and in the article he reminds us that at this time last year, through the first five games of his career, Luke Kennard was just 2 of 17 from three-point range, just 2 of 17. Um, and remember how much he struggled with his shot? the first half of last season, and then he's just started coming on strong. And, uh, it, you know, those struggles seem like such a distant memory at this point, because he's hitting almost half his three pointers so far this year, um, and playing great, great ball. Uh, but one of the other things that Goodman pointed out that I think is really interesting coming into the season during the preseason when, uh, when, when Tatum was, was still healthy, uh, Duke starting backcourt Duke's starting lineup, uh, did not include Luke Kennard. It was going to be Grayson Allen, Matt Jones, and Jason Tatum in the backcourt with uh, with Bolden and Jefferson up front. And, and Kennard was going to sort of battle with Frank Jackson to be the, the first guy off the bench. They were going to come in off the bench. Well, So the injury to Jason Tatum has really given Luke Kennard a chance to become a star. And uh, it's hard to imagine... Um, you know, I, I'm not saying he's going to be the starter once Tatum comes back, because Tatum is a truly, truly special talent. But um, I think Luke Kennard's going to get plenty of minutes, plenty of time, um, uh, even once the, those vaunted freshmen are, are are available and in the lineup. And and again, I go back to what I've said a couple times already. Um, the idea that <laughs> the idea that we're adding three really, really good players to to what we already have. Um, the, the notion that rather than having to play 38, 39, 40 minutes, um, the guys who are out battling out there right now are going to be able to play comfortably 32 or 33 or maybe even a little bit less because we're just going to come at people in waves. You know, Look, goodness gracious.
0: Can I pose a question to you along, along your discussion about Luke Kennard? Um, so far this season, um, Kennard's averaging 35 minutes a game, Allen's averaging 33, and Matt Jones is averaging 35. When let's say when everybody's healthy, particularly Tatum, because he, cause he overlaps with those guys on, you know, on, on where they're going to be standing on the court and, and, and what their jobs are. Um, how much of each of those guys' minutes do you think is going to get eaten into? Because I think before the season, you might have said, you know, like you said, Kennard is going to be battling with Jackson um, to be the guy off the bench. Um, I don't know that Matt Jones has shown so far that he has, that, that he's contributing as much as, as Kennard is tri- contributing and granted they have different skill sets and they're doing different things. Um, but I, I might, I might even think that, that Matt Jones is going to lose more playing time than Kennard is. What do you guys think about that?
1: I, I agree I'm with that. Good,
2: yeah. I I, I I think that Matt Jones is going to lose minutes, but I think all of them are going to lose minutes. Minutes are just going to be harder to come by.
1: Yeah. I was just going to say, I think Matt Jones, it's the, the bulk of the hit. Um, but I don't know if it's going to be at, you know, in the starting lineup. I think he starts, I think he plays the, you know, the two and three more than he does the three and four, which is what he's been kind of playing uh, these first couple of weeks. Um, I think Tatum moves into the three to four role. He kind of merges those guys until Bolden and Giles are able to work their way into the rotation. But uh, yeah, I think Luke Kennard may, he may have earned his way to staying on the court uh, as a starter, uh, at least to start, you know, at least when they get back. Um, it's hard to tell. I, I, I don't know if he gets a lot of his uh, minutes eaten up because he's been playing really well. And in, as you guys know, it's very hard to keep somebody off the court that's been playing as well as he's been playing the first couple of weeks of the season. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. I, I uh, you know, that, I,
2: wanna,
0: I, I, uh, I was going to say just that, Jones, you said, Donald, you, you think you might keep starting. I think that's probably right, but that. Like I wouldn't be surprised if he's if like by the time conference season rolls around and if everybody's healthy that Jones is starting games and playing under 20 minutes um, yeah. because I am not seeing so far what he you know I think that supposedly his calling card is is the defense and I don't think we've seen enough of it this year to justify um, the the drop off for, for what he provides on offense. All
2: right, so I'm I'm gonna defend Matt Jones for a moment. Um, Go for it. Uh, uh, so the best player on Rhode Island. Um, is E.C. Matthews. Uh, he's averaging 19.5 points a game thus far this season. Um, uh, he's a guy who, who's averaged um, in the mid to upper teens every single year of his career. Um, uh, you know, he's the, the favorite to be the Atlantic 10 player of the year. Um, and uh, I, I, I'm not sure if you noticed what he did against Duke today basically had a, a pretty negligible impact on the game. Uh, that was Matt Jones. Matt Jones was guarding E.C. Matthews um Matt Jones takes the toughest defensive assignment every single game for Duke and um as I as I cited earlier 50% of the game is played on the other end of the floor 50% of the game is defense um and Matt Jones is a great great defender um I also think on a team where it seems like we really haven't figured out who the point guard is, even though I thought in the preseason we were going to see a lot more of Grayson Allen at point because I thought that you know, part of why he came back this year was to, to hone up on those point guard skills because that's where his future probably is in the NBA. More often than not, we've seen Matt Jones playing, playing point. Not that, they're really, or, that there really aren't positions and blah, 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 blah.
1: Yeah, or Frank um, but, I,
2: but I, I, don't know. I don't know that Matt Jones' minutes are going to suddenly be cut in half. Um, which is what you guys are sort of talking about. But that said, um, the minutes have to come from somewhere. And, and I guess the big question about minutes is, are we talking about a really close, really tight game against a really good opponent where Coach K has shortened the rotation as he's probably going to? Or are we talking about regular games? Because I think, quote-unquote, regular games, most of the game once we hit January, and, and Duke is presumably healthy, um, fingers crossed, they'll, they'll be fully healthy by January. Um our our quote unquote regular games are gonna be games where where we're coasting. Um we're gonna we're gonna right, be but again, housing but teams against by the, twenty plus points. And so minutes aren't gonna be UNC's, that big a deal.
0: Sure. But against the UNCs and Louisville, I'm talking about the tight game. Um I'm I'm really right how those play out. I, because the guys because the guys yeah. like like we said, Kennard and, and Jackson were probably the biggest question marks coming into the season as far as like projecting Minutes played. Um, they've both had to play huge roles here early, and they both, I think, play, Jackson. I don't think has shot quite as well as he might be capable of. Um, uh, Dude, he but, shot
2: really well. Have you looked at his stats? No, Frank Jackson's hitting forty. I'm, I'm doing this from, from memory. Um, so so get this, but, get this. I was going to. Frank Jackson's hitting forty-seven percent of his threes, eighty-two percent of his free throws, and fifty percent field goals overall. So there He's you go. shooting pretty Frank, darn well. Frank Jackson, Frank, so, <laughs> So, so, but, but then, then it only augments the point that
0: that both Kennard and Jackson have played like about as well as you could have possibly imagined um, for the guys who were like stepping in and and didn't have clear roles coming into the season. And so, what do you what do you do with the guys who have probably been the two best players in the team next to Emil Jefferson? So I, I don't know. Um, that's what we have Coach K for.
2: Yeah I, I i would I would not be surprised that when we play a UNC or a Louisville. Or maybe Virginia. Um, uh, and, and we should probably mention that Virginia lost Austin Nichols. Uh, and that's a really big deal. And, and huge, huge respect for Tony Bennett. Oh wait, that's going to be my parting shot. <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. Uh, so, anyway, um, but when Duke plays those really, really big games, um, and I suspect, you know, Grayson Allen will play 35 plus minutes in those games. Emil Jefferson will play 30, 35 plus minutes. Jason Tatum's going 30, to play 30 to 35 minutes. Harry Giles is going to play 30 to 35 minutes. That's not going to leave a lot of minutes, um, and I think Luke Kennard, Frank Jackson, Matt Jones, uh, and and, and Marcus Bolden, uh, Marcus Bolden are going to, you know, going to have to divide up the other fifty five sixty minutes among the four of them, uh, and that's that's just the way it's going to be. Um, it's I'm going to mean that confident. you know we're going to have plenty of depth.
0: I'm not quite as confident that, that Giles is going to get to play thirty minutes just because he's coming back from injuries and. Freshman big men just don't play that much, um, even when they're really good. But, but your point still stands that, that Jefferson and Allen, um, in particular, are going to and Tatum are going to get um, are all going to be playing 30 to 35 minutes a game. So you're right. Yeah. It, it's not clear if, where if, all those where all where all the rest of it's going to get spread around. Uh, uh,
2: no one knows what he'll be. He hasn't played in a while. If Harry Giles is healthy, um, if Harry Giles is the player he was in high school, Harry Giles will play 30 35 minutes a game. He's, he's that leave. good. We shall see. Yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait.
1: Let's get into recruiting. And as you guys know, last week Gary Trent Jr. Uh, declared that he was going to come to Duke next year. And the other jewel of the uh, of this year's class is going to make. Uh, His declaration is known uh, this Wednesday, I believe, Uh, Wendell Carter uh, is down to Duke or Harvard uh, as to where he will play basketball next year. A lot of people are saying it's going to be Duke, but you know what? I think it's kind of cool that it's down to Duke and Harvard. It's down to, in our eyes, the best basketball program in the country, and harvard which is one of the best academic if not arguably the best academic institution in the country that's not something that you see or hear about in college basketball a lot somebody making their choice between a major powerhouse program and a major academic ivy league institution uh let me get your quick thoughts guys i mean we don't have enough to discuss i mean he's going to make his uh i guess his announcement on wednesday is, is the expected announcement but uh jason what do you think about that
2: Um, Well, first of all, technically, he says that Georgia and Georgia Tech are still in the running, but but everyone is saying that it's Duke or Harvard. Um, And usually when, um, well, everyone's sort of saying it's Duke. Uh, Everyone's saying he's going to pick Duke, but that Harvard maybe has a chance here. Um, His parents supposedly really, really loved Harvard um, uh, and and believe in what's going on in the program. I should mention, by the way, that uh, Wendell plays at Pace Academy, which is like, Two miles from my house. I know a lot of kids that go there. In fact, one of Wendell's teammates um, is uh, one of my son's best friends, uh, and, and we go you know I've, I've seen Wendell play a few times, um, uh, and and he's he's a very sweet kid. He's a he's he's a great great player. I ordinarily would be you know. Absolutely, 110% pulling for Duke and, and, and would be really, really upset if we lost this recruiting battle. I mean, look, when we're going head-to-head against a Kansas or a Kentucky or Arizona or whoever else it may be, um, you're always like, oh, you know, we can't uh, – I want this guy to get away. I, would, I don't want to say I wouldn't mind, but if he goes to Harvard, it's kind of cool. It'd be kind of cool. I mean um,
0: – Think about how many, how many Harvard games do you think would end up on, on ESPN, ESPN2, or U next season if Wendell Carter's there?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. they play it, you know, because of the academics, Harvard plays at weird times. Like Harvard doesn't play right. weekday games. They only play like Friday, Saturday, Friday, Sunday kind of stuff because they don't want yeah. to interfere with kids' uh, studies and but, such.
0: But they're going to, I mean, ESPN is, is going to have to put him on TV all the time, right? Because he's going to be one of the very best players in the class and is, and is probably going to be one of the highest picks in the 2018 draft, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So.
2: I, I I mean, it. it while we're sitting here saying, oh, how cool it would be if he went to Harvard and, and that he's this into academics, and that's great. It's fabulous. We are talking about a guy who's going to be in school for one year. Wendell Carter is, is going to be a top draft pick, um, not this coming summer, but the following summer. Um, and he's a, he's a one and done. Of course he's a one and done. He's like the number two or three player in the class. Um, at one time, he was the number one player in the class. So, So are we really obsessing over... Over the fact that he might, you know, academically pick uh, a, an amazing institution like like Harvard, it sort of seems silly. And I think that's why, in the end, he picks Duke. Uh, I think if if this was a different era, and if he was going to get a degree from somewhere and really be a part of the campus for four years, that um, Harvard would have a better chance. But like for one year, it's like almost like what the what's the point? But it's kind of cool that I mean, it's even I th- possible.
1: I think it's still cool, though, because if you think about it, yeah. just like you said, he could have gone any – he could have picked one of these basketball factories where he knows he has to just major in being an NBA player. Like, he could do that. He could have, like, he could have done the Bill Simmons treatment where he went to LSU and, like, there's talk about how he just, like, yo, I, he's on his track and everybody else is on theirs. I mean, he could have done a lot of things, but he's basically down to – I mean, when you even say Georgia Tech – that's a great institution as well. So we're talking about three of his final you know, four teams are schools that are known for academics. And that is some, there's something to be said about that. I think that's cool no matter how long he's been.
2: Yeah. Although only one of them is known for academics and being one of the best basketball programs ever. And that's why he's going to pick Duke.
1: And I hope he does that on Wednesday. Uh, Sam, did you have anything on it? Nope. I think you guys covered it all. Um, I, I, I
0: hope he comes to Duke, and if he goes to Harvard, I frankly won't care.
2: (laughs) Go, Tommy. Go, Tommy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, sure. Great. (laughs) Fine. Um, There there are too many Duke guys in the the greater basketball diaspora for me to root for all of them.
1: Well, I guess we should probably talk about that other game that happened yesterday uh on the on the gridiron uh Duke football went up to pit and lost fifty six to fourteen. Uh so Jason I'm gonna pose this question to you because uh, I think you will be able to answer or maybe you won't. Uh last week we talked about how this team is steadily improving, how they have taken what they've learned from the previous weeks and put it together and they're always fight they're always fighting, they're always in it to the end. How how do we explain 56-14, 56-14, After all, we talked to the world about last week.
2: I I don't know. Uh, this is it's crazy. I don't know how that game happened. I mean, this is the same Duke team that only lost to Louisville twenty-four to fourteen. They 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 were close to. Be, I mean, Virginia Tech, who's a top twenty team, twenty-four to twenty-one. They just beat top twenty-five team UNC twenty-eight twenty-seven, and then fifty-six to seventeen. Ooh. And Pitt basically did whatever they wanted. And I'm sorry, 56 to 14. And, it, it, you know, like I said, Pitt did whatever they wanted. And the 14 wasn't even real because one of them was a defensive touchdown. It was like suddenly we couldn't do anything. And, um, yeah, it kind of felt like we gave up a little bit. Um, did you just hear Cameron? Cameron's barking in the Cameron, background. He, Cameron, he didn't like Cameron's it good. either. Yeah, Cameron didn't like it either. I mean... Um, it 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 felt like Pitt was able to do whatever they wanted all game long, um, and the game was like the game was. I mean, it was over uh, midway through the third quarter. I mean,
0: this was uh, according to the according to the news. Observer, this was Duke's worst loss since um, they hosted Alabama and Wallace Wade Stadium in 2010. So, just to give some perspective, I
1: I was there for that game. I mean, and that should... game. That game felt closer than this one did. I'll tell you that.
2: I mean, we should note Pitt is playing really, really good football right now. I mean, they're 7 and 4 and um anyone uh whoever they play in their bowl game, I feel sorry for them. They 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 play Syracuse next week. Um they're going to they're going to beat Syracuse. Syracuse is not good. Um so they're going to be 8 and 4 and I mean, I don't know. I haven't really looked to see what bowl they might go to, but Pitt's playing really good football. Um I
0: hate mean, I hate to I hate to bring it up in front of you know in front of Donalds, but Pitt has a win over the team that might end up winning the Big Ten this year in Penn State. So um, you know they're they're a um, they're a strong team. Yeah, hey, yeah. Hey, get and, out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I
1: didn't, mean
0: to, we'll I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't mean to crush you ahead of the game.
1: <laughs> Penn State, get out of here. Yeah, it's four four and seven. Uh, we got Miami next week uh, at Miami. If we win that, we're five and seven. I think technically we could still be uh, eligible to be selected for a bowl game, but I doubt we That's will. Correct. I mean, we get we get in under the APR. No, no. no. Uh, but I don't think we We would. We, we would
2: absolutely. No, no. Yeah, hold it. We would absolutely. If we are five yeah. and seven, and there, are, if they have to, the way the five and seven teams get picked is it goes in order of your APR, your academic progress r- rate. And Duke is number one in the nation in APR. We've been number one in the nation in APR for like eight years running or something absurd so like that. We,
0: so if we beat Donald's Hurricanes this Saturday, um, then Duke yeah. is going to a ballgame.
2: Yeah, I mean, they, they, well, still, there, has still, be, a, there
1: has to be an eligible spot. We can't, right, there's like, still, there's still a – math-
2: There's still a mathematical scenario where we wouldn't, but it it would take, I think, something like 13 or 14 – Five win teams all winning their games this coming week, um, right. which is pretty. That's pretty unlikely. A, a,
1: a few of them, I think, play each other, so that's not going to happen.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, uh, the, the the estimates at this point are that they're probably going to be maybe two, maybe three, um, five, and seven teams that that qualify for bowls now. I'll put the question to you guys. There, there are there are teams out there that that go five and seven, qualify for a bowl, and then say, "No, we five and seven, we just can't do it," and and elect not to play. Um, I don't think I, Coach Cut no, has said Coach, many
0: times. Coach Cut loves the uh, he loves the extra practice time. He'll yeah, do that extra practice
2: that. is, is and, pretty darn useful.
1: And honestly, our you know we are programs that we're not in the we're not the michigan's alabama's ohio state's the world where we can turn down these bowl games because they're beneath us or anything like that any bowl game to us is a great bowl game it's like you guys said it's a chance for extra practice a chance for you know extra reps um and to get a head start on next year i don't care where it is that if, if it's a bowl game we'll i think we'll most likely take it and i think we should well and and
0: and if they do make it it's not like the team isn't aware that they that they made it in on on the fact you know on the academic progress so it's It's an opportunity to stress to the guys that, hey, you know, the the academics are still important here. That's what got us here. And also that, um, you know, on the field, you guys didn't entirely deserve it. So, you know, work your butts off and and next year you'll you'll earn it again for real. Um, Yeah,
2: I like it. Perfect motivator. I like it. So, yeah, obviously. Yeah, I was gonna say what comes first is Miami and that's not going to be easy. Um, uh, This Miami team, by the way, beat Pitt a few weeks ago.
0: Right. But In fact, beat they beat UNC.
2: They, they <laughs> beat the they beat the snot out of Pitt. They beat Pitt fifty one to twenty eight. So, but they lost to we UNC, see. and they that got killed the by bottom. Virginia Tech, and they lost it's, to Notre welcome, Dame. So, welcome, You can't welcome make to the no. This makes division. sense.
0: <laughs> welcome to the Coastal Division. It's been like this for years. <laughs>
1: Now let's move on to players of the week, and I will start with you, Jason. Give me your player of the week.
2: Well, I hope that someone takes Emil Jefferson, but I'm taking Luke Kennard. Um, uh, huge, huge week for Luke Kennard when with his backcourt running mate Grayson Allen really struggling, um, uh, you know, hurt, banged up, and, and not able to produce, especially from the perimeter the way he he ordinarily does. Kennard gets 22 points against Kansas. He then against Penn State comes out and and only gets 15 points. Oh, that that was his worst game. And then against Rhode Island, um he there are times during the second half where he absolutely took over the game. He scores 24 points against Rhode Island. He shot great from deep. Um he was uh it, it's so much fun to watch Luke Kennard because he's left-handed, but he's equally adept with his right or his left hand and um his ability to get close to the basket and then finish with either hand uh, is just sublime. Uh, it's gorgeous to watch. Um, Kennard, uh, Kennard was great this week. Um, and this Rhode Island game, 24 points on 8 of 11 shooting, 24 points on 11 shots, that's absurd. He also had seven rebounds. Um, it, it, he, he played a really, really great game. He played all 40 minutes because, you know, the entire team is on the bench injured. Um, so uh, I, I, as great as Emil Jefferson was, and God, was Emil Jefferson great this week. Um, my player of the week goes to Luke Kennard. Sam?
0: Uh, so if Donald had started with me, I would have said, uh, I'm about to take Emil Jefferson, and I really hope that somebody else takes Luke Kennard. So uh, thank, you Jason for, <laughs> thank you, Jason, for reading my mind. Um, Emil Jefferson didn't have a great game against Kansas, but uh, over the weekend at Mohegan Sun, uh, he went 18 for 28 against um, Penn State and Rhode Island, two teams. Rhode Island is a team that's definitely making the tournament. Penn State, you could certainly see them um getting better and, and and being good enough to to challenge for a tournament spot. He also pulled down fifteen rebounds against both of those teams, which I think we already highlighted. Um just in general looked like a looked like a force at both ends of the court. Um made a, a few of those nifty Emil Jefferson moves to the basket where he's like at the free throw line and then all of a sudden he like fakes left and goes right and he and he lays it in easily. Um played a lot of good defense against, against both of those teams. And I think just overall has been um, the consummate captain of this team. Um, you know, as the, as, as the senior leader, as the, the graduate student among them, um, Emil Jefferson seems to, seems to have the pulse on everybody. And he, and you, you can see the way that he, you know, talks to all the different guys um, on the team and, and gets them all in the right places. So to him, I, I would have also, um, so him and, and Luke Kennard both had great weeks. Um, Frank Jackson also had a great week, uh, and, and as I pointed out, has really come on strong. Um, you know, the, we, we sometimes take for granted, as I said, that the freshmen, that the star freshmen are actually going to be stars early, and, and so far Frank Jackson has, has lived up to uh, the billing that he had coming out of high school.
1: Yeah, so I, if, I, if I wasn't hosting this week, I would have said exactly what Jason said, uh, that I hope somebody would take Emil Jefferson because I'm going with Luke Kennard as well. Um I, I think that he is making the most of his opportunities and he's lighting up the uh the scoreboard uh in every single way from three inside layups. Uh he's doing it all and I, I think that is uh really good for for us going forward. I think it's gonna be helpful to have a lot of scoring. Um uh, a lot of scoring come from different places on different nights and I think Luke Nard has proven that on any given night he can drop twenty on you. Um and, and that's a good sign. Uh, for the rest of the rest of the season, but I think for this week, uh, it's hard you know, as, as much as I think Emil had a great weekend in Connecticut, uh, I'm going to go with Luke Kennard for his play over the entire week, and uh, I I think that that would yeah I'm going to go with Luke Kennard. that's my man.
2: By the way, uh, I'm now two for two, two player of the week. They've both been Luke Kennard. I, I'm I am the biggest Luke Kennard fan in the world.
0: <laughs> you you can have that title. Um, I'm, I'm sure he's I'm sure he's happy to have you on his. In his camp.
1: All right, let's move to parting shots. And Sam, I will start with you.
0: Okay, so I, uh, one of my friends, Jordan, who I'm actually staying with um, today up here in the mountains, uh, sent me this article uh, from the New York Post about Marshall Plumlee's uh, NBA debut. Did you guys see this? Um, it, it was. It was extremely funny. So Marshall Plumley um, was playing in the D League for the Knicks affiliate in Westchester County, um, up, which is not far from New York City, but is but is up in the suburbs um, and is not exactly convenient to Madison Square Garden. He found out on um, I think it was on uh, Saturday morning or Sunday morning that he was um, that he was going to have to make his NBA debut because Joachim Noah was hurt, uh, and there's a you can find this New York Post article um, detailing the whole thing about how he had to uh, get on the like commuter train from Westchester to get downtown to Grand Central, and then from Grand Central he had to take a cab over to the stadium, and he had very little time, and there was traffic, so he had to um, to get from Grand Central over to Madison Square Garden. He got out of the cab because there was too much traffic, and he ran down the streets of Manhattan to get to Madison Square Garden to get there in time to play in the game, and then he played five minutes in the game and had to... Uh, go up against Dwight Howard very briefly because they were playing the Atlanta Hawks. Um, so the, uh, the, the money quote that I wanted to pull out of the article, um, he, uh, at, at, after they explained all the, all the mess that he had gone through to get there, he says uh, about his NBA debut, I don't think it could have gone smoother except today. It could have gone smoother.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yo i have made i have made that sprint from grand central to the madison square garden area Penn plaza area to uh catch a bus or catch a train so i feel his pain and the fact that he even played basketball after that uh that and marshall that's what yeah up. he said
0: before the game started and the coach said do you need to warm up and he said i'm already warm i ran here <laughs> That's pretty good. I don't know if I I haven't been on the board today. I don't know if this article got posted on the boards anywhere, but I'll I'll make sure to link it in uh
2: in our post about this podcast.
1: That's incredible. Uh Sam, or Jason, your parting chat.
2: I alluded to this a little while ago. Um uh my parting shot is a tip of the cap to Tony Bennett of Virginia, um the head coach of the Virginia Cavaliers who, um, and we don't know all the details of exactly what happened or why, but uh, he dismissed um, Austin Nichols from his team. Um, Austin Nichols had played at Memphis, transferred to Virginia, is a big deal transfer. Austin Nichols got suspended earlier this season um, for the season opener for violating some team rules. And uh, whatever, And apparently he didn't learn his lesson because Tony Bennett said, quote, it's a privilege to be a part of this program and Austin has lost that privilege. We have standards for our student-athletes, and when those standards are not met, there are consequences. And Austin Nichols now understands. I'm sorry?
0: I was going to say, that's a kid that Duke recruited when he was transferring, right? I mean, Coach K was, yeah. wanted Austin Nichols to come to Duke when he left Memphis.
1: That's true. Yeah.
2: Yes, yeah. yes, that's that's true. And, and I mean, Austin Nichols is a heck of a player. Um, You know, a lot of people thought that he was going to be one of the top um, big men, top forwards in in the country this year, and uh, Tony Bennett said, "No, I, uh, you know, you you broke some rule, you did something wrong." Um, Seth Greenberg, who who is not someone that I, uh, I'm I'm now going to quote from both Dick Vitale and Seth Greenberg in the same podcast, and and be careful if I go silent, it's because my, my body has turned to stone as a result of doing this. But Seth we, Greenberg, we, we
0: might not invite you back.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I have to. I have to really prepare myself for this. Seth Greenberg said something intelligent. Oh God, uh, Seth Greenberg said that typically when a kid gets in trouble, as Austin Nichols did earlier this year, that uh, when a coach lets him back on the team, that there's a contract, um, and that the coach says, "Here are the things you must do. Here are the thing, or the, here are the things you must not do." But but the, the coaches typically spell things out very very clearly. And let's not forget, Seth Greenberg was a coach. And at Virginia Tech, he had more than a few kids that he suspended or, or who got in trouble. So he knows a lot about this. Seth Greenberg said, um, you know, those contracts are uh, in the coaching fraternity, in the coaching world, are, are, are sacred. And um, uh, th- they're a big deal. And he said, it's clear, Tony Bennett probably had a contract with Austin Nichols, and Austin Nichols violated it. And Seth said, when you do that, it's done. You're finished. So um, uh, my parting shot is uh, a tip of the hat to Tony Bennett because this isn't easy for him. Um Virginia will not will probably not be as good because they don't have Austin Nichols. Um at, at least that, that would be the conventional wisdom. I should point out that today Virginia went out without Austin Nichols and played Yale. And and as Duke fans know, Yale's not a bad team. They're not great, but they're not bad. Um, uh, Virginia only beat Yale sixty-two to thirty-eight. Sixty-two to thirty-eight. Um, Virginia is again an incredible defensive team. Um, They played St. Francis the other day. St. Francis scored 32 points against them. That's not in a half. That's in the whole game. They played UNC Greensboro. They scored 51 points. So, so far on the season, the most anyone scored against Virginia is 51 points. Teams are basically averaging 40 points a game against Virginia so far this season. Beware the Cavaliers. Donald?
1: So, my parting shot is one about us. Uh, Two years ago this week, uh, do you guys know what we did two years ago this week?
2: You gave it away. You told we us talked, beforehand. We
0: talked on the phone for the first time.
1: We talked on the phone for the first time and we recorded episode zero, not episode one. The episode one was, you know, the one that we started off and, and had up uh, after we, I guess, got official permission uh, to be the DVR podcast. But yeah, two years ago this week uh, in 2014, Thanksgiving weekend, uh, we got on the phone for the first time and started doing this uh, venture project. And 62 episodes later, we're still here. So that's a tribute to uh, our fans out there, our, you know, the three dozen of you who tune in uh, every single time we post something. Uh, but also to to us, the, the fact that two years later, we haven't uh, killed each other uh, over the phone um, with, with some of these things. But uh, to you guys uh, and to everybody out there, thank you for, Keeping us on for two years. Uh, it's been a fun project, and uh, we it's good we've had some great basketball and great football to talk about uh, over the, over these two years. And uh, we have no intentions of stopping, people. So uh, hopefully, you like our voices. Uh, you clearly do because you've let us go on for this long.
2: Yeah, and by the way, it's worth noting. I think the reason we haven't ever killed each other is because we've never the three of us been in the same place at the same time. Um, like I've met Donald, and I've met Sam, and Sam's met Donald. Uh, um, uh, but but we've never the three of us been together at the same time as soon as that happens I plan to kill both of you so
1: well
0: Sorry, that we really changes things. It. Yeah. <laughs>
2: but, um, <laughs> I, I always mean, say
0: that it'd be fun for us all to do an episode together but now I'm afraid
2: yeah <laughs> hey hey and Donald um, because you said thanks to the fans I wanted to point out we're coming up to Thanksgiving um, and I wanted to thank yeah everyone for listening I want to thank the DBR for letting us use their name <laughs>
0: absolutely yeah yeah
2: and and my last thanks as we come into Thanksgiving is I want to thank my wife and sons for tolerating this. They roll their eyes at me every week when I go, oh, I've got to do a podcast. They're like, are you really wasting your time with that? And I try to explain to them that we have literally dozens of people listening. Actually, we joke about that. The, the listener numbers are kind of scary. <laughs> the number of yeah. people who, no, really who listen to the podcast. I mean, it's like thousands of people, which is kind of crazy. But um, I want to thank my family for tolerating the uh, the preparation, the recording, and the editing that goes into each and every one of these. And I want to thank both of you for being my partners in crime. Thanks, guys. I,
0: I, would, I would add to that that I would like to thank my roommate, who often is around when I, when I record. And he sometimes sits and listens to me, even though he's not a Duke fan, because he's fascinated by what we're doing. Um, and, then also <laughs> thank, and then also thank my friend Jordan, who's, uh, who's hosting me for the podcast tonight. Um, He's he's doing a great job.
1: So I guess that's going to do it for this episode of the DBR podcast. Like you guys said, uh, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, We're going to take next week off to be with our families. I know you guys are going to do the same, and really you're probably not going to be expecting to hear from us uh, for a couple weeks. We'll come back probably after the Michigan State game so we can all uh, stuff ourselves full of uh, Thanksgiving uh, deliciousness uh, food and watch all the the games they're going to be on. So for that – For Sam, for Jason, I'm Donald. Uh, Check us out on the DVR forums and Duke Band, take us home.